Hi friends, welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven and that is my lovely wife, as always, Liberty. We're a married couple with different interests and we try to bring each other into our hobbies with the latest news in both books and sports. And today's episode, as Liberty would call it, is the sports ball episode. And one puck ball thing. Yeah, <laughs> sports puck? Sports puck. Yeah. Okay. It's definitely not a ball. It's very true. I feel like this week has been like the weirdest sports week that we've had in a while. Yeah, definitely. We have weird news, which, you know, is my favorite sports news because I don't care about signings and hirings and firings and all that crap. Yeah, whereas I care about those things and there were a lot of hirings and signings, but it was like assistant coach this and assistant coach that. And I'm like, oh, okay, great. That's a thing. Yeah, but I thought we'd start today talking about the NHL and specifically... A lot of people lost a lot of money this week. Yeah, this week was all about them fines. Yeah. So we'll start with my favorite fine that happened. Philadelphia Flyers forward Nicholas Obey Kubel, maybe, is how you say that, has been fined $4,633.62. I feel like sometimes these fines are so funny small in comparison to how much these guys make a year. Well, it is the maximum allowable under the current CBA, Collective Bargaining Agreement. It's a percentage that's based off of your position and your money, and I don't know how they calculate it, but that's why you always have that weird N62 cents or whatever happens. Yeah. He was fined for roughing Buffalo Sabres defenseman Rasmus Dahlin during the game on Monday, January 18th, and it turns out people playing on Monday, like... There was no full moon, so I don't know why everyone just acted insane. But you also had Vancouver Canucks forward Elias Pettersson being fined $3,987.07, which again is the max allowed by the CBA, for slashing Calgary Flames forward Sean Monahan. Also a Monday game. So there was no full moon, but everyone's just acting insane that day. You also had the newly acquired Minnesota Wild defenseman Greg Paterin, Paterin, who has been fined $5,000 for cross-checking Anaheim Ducks forward Sonny Milano during the game on Monday. Fun times for the individual player doleouts. There was also damage to a whole team who I don't know if you have the news for, but I know you also don't like the Capitals. It was on Monday, so a couple days after the non-existent full moon of January 18th. The NHL announced that it fined the Washington Capitals $100,000 for player violations of the league's COVID protocols. It included social interactions among team members who were in close contact and weren't wearing face coverings of any kind. I don't know why you would do this because, like, you come into contact together for the games and practice and all of that, but, like... There's only a certain amount of risk you should be taking. Yeah. So it ended up being between four players, including Ovechkin and their starting goalie, Samsonov. And they met for dinner in one of the players' rooms. Right. And that's where it ended up all happening. And I'm like, I I get why they're being fined. But at the same time, I'm like, these guys were literally just on the ice together, all within close proximity of each other, not wearing masks anyways. So I'm like, what is really the risk there? Like, had they gone out to dinner, then I would have been like, yeah, idiots, you deserve it. But it's like I said, like, you have to have a certain amount of calculated risk that you have to take in order to do your job and all that crap. You don't need unnecessary risk like this. And like, maybe it had nothing to do with those four players possibly getting each other's 
sick. Maybe the room service would have only gotten one of them sick. Yeah. And then there's four of them, so all of a sudden, all of them are all sick. Them are risk- I guess I could see that argument a little bit, but... You had Alexander Ovechkin, Evgeny Kuznet- Kuznetsov. Kuznetsov, yeah. I never say that right. Dmitry Orlov, and then, like you said, Ilya Samsonov. All pretty key players, but they all weren't allowed to play in the next game, so... Actually, it's more than just a game. It is four games that they aren't allowed to play in, which is basically their next road trip. Yeah. So they're not going to play. I wish we were playing them when they don't get to play. But I think when I told you about that happening, them being benched for those many games, you immediately were like, are we playing them? And I'm like, (laughs) no, you're not. We already played them while they were doing this nonsense. So thanks for that. Possibly getting my team sick. And Peter Laviolette said that the players were in contact with someone who tested positive, so I don't know who that other person would have been, but he didn't say whether any of his four players tested positive from this incident, Right. which I'm not surprised given the CBA at the moment. Also in this week's news, the trade of the century occurred this week that we kind of were all expecting, especially after the way, the, well, let's say the way, the amount of time Pierre-Luc Dubois was played in the previous game. Well, let's put it this way. So Pierre-Luc Dubois, Mr. No Effort himself, was benched because he decided to skate around like he was learning how to skate for some effing reason. And so his coach is like, you know what, you can just sit there for the entire game. For the rest of the game. Right. And as we know, the coach of the actual Blue Jackets doesn't really put up with anything at all when no. it comes to that kind of stuff. I mean, I like this coach as like, he's very funny off of the ice, but I don't think you should pull something like that. Yeah. Torts is not a guy that appreciates slackers by any means. I don't he, think any coach would have put up with that. Yeah, he, he basically came out and said, listen, the reason he didn't play was because of the amount of respect and effort he was making on the ice during the first period and all the previous games overall so far this season. So he was basically saying, I'm not happy with this guy at all. And therefore, he wasn't going to get time on the ice. He goes, effort is what gets you time on the ice. If you're not going to make effort, you don't deserve it. Well, and like looking at it, it's like, it's too bad he couldn't have been healthy scratched before this game. And then you could have had someone who actually wants to play and do their very best and like actually put out an effort for the team. And instead you've got Mr. No Effort just dilly-dallying. Yeah, I was watching a little coverage on it on NHL Network, and they basically were showing multiple times where he was just out of position of where he should have been. Oh, yeah. And, like, straight leg skating and more along the lines of, like, hey, in this instance, the left wing should have come in to help the center behind the ice when there's a two-on-one pinch from the defenseman on this guy because you had a player open in the slot, but there was nobody to help the guy get the puck loose to get it to the guy in the slot who would have had a goal-scoring opportunity. So I agree with him wholeheartedly. The effort that he's made so far this season has been absolutely pathetic. And then he got traded to the Winnipeg Jets, and that happened Saturday, so the day before we recorded, January 23rd. And in exchange, they picked up Patrick Laine and Jack Roslovic. Roslovic, yeah. Roslovic, I think, is actually the way it's pronounced. Okay. Yeah. And Winnipeg also received a third round pick in the 2022 NHL draft. Yeah. 
I definitely think in the long term of things, Winnipeg got the better end of the deal. The only stipulation that I think is a little nerve-wracking is that Patrick Laine becomes a restricted free agent at the end of this season. So you're getting him for a shortened season, whereas uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois is now on a two-year contract. So Winnipeg already has him signed for two years. Well, but is that a good thing if he's prone to temper tantrums like this? I think it had more to do with that he didn't want to be in Columbus any longer, and his agent and him communicated that. But for some reason, at the beginning of the season, he signed a two-year contract with Columbus, which was honestly, I think, the most confusing part of it. Well, you never know what's going on behind the scenes, and I get that. But at the same time... I get so sick and tired and fed up with all these athletes who throw temper tantrums like this because, like, does it suck that you're where you don't want to be? Sure, I get that. But at the same time, it's your job. Just do your damn job. Uh, I don't know. I I get so mad about it. I... And who's to say he's not going to get to his new team and suddenly decide, I don't want to be here either and throw the same kind of temper tantrum? Really nothing, but I don't think that's really what he's going to want to do because he, he's obviously with a new team. you got to start to show yourself. But part of that stipulation with that trade is that Winnipeg actually holds about 25% of Line's salary for this year as well still. So mm. realistically, the Blue Jackets aren't paying him his full amount out of their own expenses, which right. works out, I guess, in some extent. Well, you always like it when you don't have to pay the full contract. Right. Obviously, this week is technically the second week of hockey, just barely. But the Stars are finally getting their first game under their belt here in Dallas. And what a game that was. That was insane. Seven goals, a five-goal second period. Uh, no action in the first period when it came to goal scoring. But they holy had a shutout. moly. Mm-hmm. Joe Pavelski had a four-point night with two goals and two assists. Radulov had a two-goal game as well. So just... Man, I thought Nashville was going to be an okay team. I didn't think they were going to be a top of the division by any means, but I didn't think they were going to be that bad. They came into this game not doing great. Right. So I don't know what's happening there. I think that was just a really, uh, you got your butt handed to you. Yeah, Anton Hudobin ended up getting the start over Ben Bishop, which is clearly a sign of, like, we know who the starter is now, you know. I don't think Ben Bishop is going to be the number one this year. I Honestly, after the performance Hudobin gave in the playoffs, I agree. I think this is the right decision. I think you're going to have to wait and see. It's going to be one of those things where only time will tell because you can have guys in the net who start out great at the beginning of the season, but by the end of the season, you're like, do I have to play this guy? Are you serious? Because he's just such a different goalie from the beginning to the end of the season. Yeah, but he had a 34 save shutout, so. That was beautiful. Yeah, by no means did he not have to work for his shutout. Right, right. Speaking of goalies, the Blackhawks are on their third starting goalie in two weeks. Kevin Lankinen got his first win as an NHL starting goalie. Your team's first win? Also my team's first win, yeah, against the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, there's a lot of people who are like, Lankinen is the goalie of the future, and I'm like, calm down, guys. It was just the Red Wings. Right, right. It's not you like know. you were playing the Lightning or something. Yeah, it's like the Senators in the past where it's like, yeah, we got a win, but did we really? Like, yeah, yeah. But Lankinen also performed well in the previous series as well against Florida. He played in the last game in the Florida series against the Panthers. 
I honestly, I think I told you before the season even started, I know my team was in a goalie situation, but we had good young goalies coming up and here he is. Right. You know, I I was excited by his aggressiveness. He reminded me of a young Corey Crawford kind of mixed with the subtleness of Darling. Like he knew when to be aggressive and when to be in the right spot. He didn't look like he was out of place. And I think that was the key thing because in the previous games, our goalies were all over the place. They didn't know where they were, so... Well, I think you have more than one problem for your team. As you can tell by your oh and whatever your record was before you went into that Detroit game. Yeah. Because it's obviously you're having a center issue because you lack centers. So you're having wingers come into that position. But then you also have the problem with your defensemen are letting too many people in the zone, not doing enough back checking. And I don't know what that's about. Uh, I, I would say our defense is still trying to figure out their rhythm. There's a lot of players that are playing with people that they haven't played with before. Obviously, there would be no preseason and barely any practicing. There's... But every team's been that way right. this season. Like, you aren't the only ones. But we started off with... Almost an all-new defensive pairing shy of about three players. So Calvin Dehan, Boquist, and Ke- or, uh, Keith were it. That's all we had. Yeah. You know, everybody else is relatively new to our system. So. But, I mean, that's kind of the point. Like, you don't just have a goalie issue or a center issue. You also yeah. have a defenseman issue. That's the whole ice. Yeah. Like, that's everywhere there's a problem. Well, it doesn't help that Boquist is out day-to-day. We don't know how long he's going to be out with that upper body injury, but... I know that Connor Murphy was basically asked to step in and try to pick up some of the slack on that first line defensive pairing. He's normally a second or third line defenseman, so he's not used to the time on ice. And I would say he adjusted well. I think there was a lot of miscommunications between him and Keith because, again, they don't play with each other. So, you know. I mean, this is the time where you have to step up. Yeah. Like Next if, man up situation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it's like, you're not used to this. No one else is used to this. Like someone's got to make something happen. Well, and he looked good. It just seemed like the communication wasn't quite there. And, you know, good defenseman pairings in the past with the Blackhawks and your Penguins for that matter. It's almost like there's telepathy going on between the two of them. They don't have to talk. They don't have to point. They don't have to do anything. The players just know where the other defenseman is going to be. And that wasn't the case, you know, over the last couple of games. And I think that's really what put our goalies in the hot seat because there were a lot of turnovers in our own zone that should not have happened. And I think a lot of it has to do with awareness of where the other pair is. Yeah. So uh, we could sit on that forever. But Another trade that I saw was Ian Cole, which caught my eye because this is an ex-Penguins player. That's probably why it got to you. (laughs) So he was traded to the Minnesota Wild by the Colorado Avalanche for Greg Paterin on Wednesday, January 20th. And then as far as injuries go, there's Josh Manson, who's expected to be out for six weeks for the Anaheim Ducks with an oblique muscle injury. That's your side abdominal muscles. Thanks. You're welcome. (laughs) I just, I felt like I had to explain that because I had that injury when I was in college and preparing to join the military. Like, even breathing hurt. Like. Sitting, standing, walking, laying down, breathing, not breathing, everything hurt. Right. So the six weeks is like, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. He left the game against the Wild on Monday, January 18th, with 40 seconds remaining in the first period when that injury happened. So 
it's still weird to me that the wild are in the west it still throws me off every time i hear it but yeah i i couldn't imagine having an oblique injury i as an athlete i've, I've never injured my obliques and i I hope to never do that, ever. No, you just injured fun things like your knees. Yeah. That's all. Which are just as important. (laughs) And then you have Joe Thornton, which this is so weird, this next sentence that's about to come out of my mouth. He will be out for at least a month for the Toronto Maple Leafs with a rib fracture. Yeah. And like, I'm so used to him being in San Jose that I'm like, wait, he's where now? What is happening? I don't understand. Well, considering he's played almost his entire career in San Jose, that kind of explains that. Right. But he was injured in the game against the Edmonton Oilers on Wednesday the 20th when he was hit along the boards. So I'm not surprised it's a rib-related injury if it's up on the boards like that. Well, in hockey world as well, he's relatively old in age. so You you can really only tell by the color in his beard how old he is. Your bones are more brittle, man. Like, (laughs) you, you can't take hits like that. It's just not something you can do anymore. He's in his 30s, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. He's in his late 30s, I believe. 41. I was going to say, never mind. I was only off by like two years from what I was thinking, but that sounds so much older. Yeah. Like, it sounds like he should have retired. <laughs> Sorry, man. You do you. And then I have two pieces of weird hockey news, if you don't have any... I didn't have weird hockey news. You were talking about last night when you were writing your notes, and I was like, I don't understand what could have happened that was so weird in the NHL, but I'm interested. Well, one of them I have talked to you about. So in March of last year, the season was cut short around March 11th, and that was when the San Jose Sharks plane then became the Joe Biden-Kamala Harris presidential campaign charter and i thought that was so weird like it makes sense i guess but they ended up giving it a paint job and had them travel to various tour stops on what used to be the sharks plane and there's a chance that they're gonna get the plane back now that they've been inaugurated right well they they kind of fly on a little nicer jet now (laughs) yeah a little bit but the team's coach actually came out and said, hopefully they left some winning vibes on the plane. Yeah, because they could use the help, let's be honest. Yeah, so I thought that was really funny. Yeah. I'm just kind of wondering if, like, the seats were still embossed with, like, the shark on there, the logo and everything like that, because that would be super funny. I have no idea, but it turns out that the person writing the article talked to the people who still ran the plane. Yeah, operated it. Yeah, Yeah, and apparently... Biden wasn't like relaxing and like listening to music or reading or whatever people do on planes. He was like working the whole time he was flying. I'm like, I'm glad he's the president and not the other one. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of great. And then the second piece of news that's a little bit weird happened here in Dallas. I'd be surprised if you haven't heard of this. I didn't talk to you about it, though, last night. I may have because it happened here in Dallas, and most Dallas sports news comes across my phone, so... But the Dallas Stars got quite the wake-up call on their way into practice on Thursday, January 21st, when goalie Ben Bishop was dressed up in a giant dinosaur costume and hid (laughs) off to the side of the hallways. I did not hear about this. This He would emerge and run at the players and roar as they were walking past... Apparently, he said that the team seemed sleepy at practice the day before, so he wanted to make sure they were awake, I guess. 
What is it with goalies pulling pranks on people? Like, Fleury was notorious for doing uh, things like that, so I'm not shocked. I miss shocked. the flowers so much. So I'm not shocked that, like, goalies get in on this. Like, even Crawford from time to time, like, even as, like, kind of boring he seemed sometimes, like, he was always trying to pull pranks on people. So, like, it must but be a goalie thing. It's not just a goalie thing, because I've seen a lot of behind-the-scenes videos of other players pulling pranks, but it does seem to be a very common thing in goalies. Right. For sure. So I love that. I haven't watched a video on this. I don't know if there's a video out there, but I kind of want to see it if it does exist. Oh, I'm sure it does. Because, you know, you don't do something like that and not record it. But for the NFL, I guess we're now getting to the nitty gritty of the playoffs. We're down to our final four teams. That's correct. And I only got half of my prediction correct from last week, right? Yeah, you were one for one. You you had picked the Kansas City Chiefs. Does that mean I'm batting 500? Sure. We're not batting anything, but well, yeah. But I mean, your record is 500 for this week. Okay. Yes. The Chiefs won 22 to 17 over the Browns. I know that you were kind of on the edge because like you didn't pick Baker the week before and he did you dirty and like just came out of nowhere and beat but up on the Steelers. But at the same time, like you can only work magic so much. Yeah. At some point, someone's going to get you. And and in fairness, it was against, you know, the practically billion-dollar contract man that is Patrick Mahomes. And as well, uh, Haney, the backup, because Mahomes left the game under concussion protocol. Right. Literally, at uh, during the game, while it was happening, Mahomes was going through concussion protocol. He tweeted out, anything can happen. And it became like this huge thing like that blew up on the internet about... Chad Henney holding down the game and still scoring, you know, the game-winning touchdown. Okay, I didn't know the name of the guy who came in after that. So when you said he tweeted that, I was like, oh, no, he must have a concussion. Yeah. Because <laughs> why would you tweet that? But that's his last name, so that makes sense. Yes, yeah. He, he ended up clearing concussion protocol this week. Uh, yes. So, yeah, the anything can happen movement was... Very interesting on Twitter. If you haven't looked it up, fantastic hashtag to go back and look at things. It yeah. was just so cool to see the outpouring of people just going like, that's the greatest thing. Like, And then I got the other one wrong because I wanted to root for the New Orleans team, the Saints. Saints, yes. How do you forget the Saints will come marching in? They because, literally play the song. Because the other one's the Pelicans. I like the No Pelicans. The No Pelicans? Yes, yeah. which is not the NFL. No. But the Saints lost to the other team. Hold on. Buccaneers. Yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, TB Buccaneers, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, or the Tom Brady Buccaneers, you just call it however you want to call it, it continued to prove that they do not need the Patriots system to dominate in their division. So Tom Brady just still doing it up. Bruce Arians came out this week and said, the reason Tom Brady is still so good at this age is because, for the most part, I let him call the audibles on the field and we just basically go these are the plays we think you should call and he goes this is the play i'm going to call on the field so he's making practically all the offensive decisions which is really risky as a head coach because at that point like i guess you're not the fall guy you just blame the quarterback but at the same time you're the one making the decision to let the quarterback make the decisions on the field that just reminds me of when we're trying to figure out where to go for dinner and you're like here's the four places i would like to go and i'm like okay i'll take that one yeah so pretty much that's kind of funny that that's how they run a football organization it's the same way we pick dinner 
in fairness, you do have very good visibility on the field. And as long as Tom Brady's been in the game, he probably knows how to read a defense better than pretty much any quarterback in the game. I would say the only one that I would put anywhere near the same tier of him would probably be Aaron Rodgers currently for the Packers. They're both very, very good at reading what's in front of them. But since we're talking about my picks, before we get into the actual news side of the NFL, let's go ahead and make my picks for this week. For the AFC Championship, you have the picks between the Buffalo Bills, the team that's there for the first time in 27 years, versus the Kansas City Chiefs. I feel like this one's really easy, even if you're not a football person. Because it's like the Chiefs have that quarterback who made all that money. And the Bills are surprised to even have made it this far. But you also, on the Chiefs side, have the winningest or one of the most winning Super Bowl champion coaches as well. Well, then obviously you have to go for the Chiefs, right? That's the easy answer. No, I'm going with the Bills on this one. Really? I'm rolling deep with the Bills Mafia on this one. But you're you're picking the Chiefs, so that's that's fine. The Chiefs are going to put a horse head in your bed. Okay, because it's the Bills Mafia. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Um, If we don't title this episode Horse Head in the Bed, I'm going to be very upset. And then the other one is going to be the Buccaneers and that other team. The Green Bay Packers. Yeah, the other team. (laughs) Um, I do not want the Packers because you guys have a rivalry with them. So what's weird about it is I'm kind of on the fence with this one. I really do not like Tom Brady, and I think he's old and doesn't deserve any more championships. But at the same time, rooting for the Green Bay Packers to go to the Super Bowl is not something as a Bears fan. I'm really comfortable with. So I think I'm going to root for the Buccaneers. So we might be completely opposite this week. I'm going to go with the Packers just because I don't want Tom Brady to win another Super Bowl. But then I think for the Super Bowl, I would go ahead and call it for the Chiefs. Well, they have they have to make it to well, the first. That's my point. Like, yeah, you think the Chiefs are going to get there? Teams, if my two teams make it into the Super Bowl, I think it's going to be the Chiefs. They're going to repeat. Would that be a repeat? I, I do believe so, yeah. I know nothing about this sport. Yeah. Clearly. <laughs> um, but speaking about the Chiefs, we'll talk about a quick injury update. Um, Mahomes, obviously he cleared concussion protocol. However, there were reports this morning that came out that he will be playing the game with a minor case of turf toe. If you don't know what turf toe is... Your toe is green and weird. No. It's a hyperextension of the tendons and muscles in your toe, Mm -hmm. uh, your big toe. So it kind of comes down to which foot it's on. Like if it's on his, his left foot, that's not the foot he pushes off of, so it won't be so bad. But at the same time, like, I've never hyperextended my big toe, so I don't know how bad that feels. Mm. Avoided that injury, thank goodness. So could be ugly to see how Mahomes plays. We'll see, obviously, today, later, how it all turns out. But there's talk that there's a chance he may require surgery after Yikes. the Super Bowl if he continues to play through. You also have the Buccaneers coach, Bruce Arians? Yeah, who came out and told reporters on Friday, January 22nd, that Antonio Brown is not going to play in Sunday's NFC Championship game because of a knee injury. Which is probably for the better because that man doesn't deserve any attention as it is anyways. I, I don't know why. I don't know what's wrong with these people. He's the helmet guy. Oh, I don't like the helmet guy. I don't want him to make it to the Super Bowl. <laughs> well, I'm you just sticking picked the, with, <laughs> you picked with the Buccaneers. You're sticking with your pick, but you're like, I don't want him to get a ring. Ew. <laughs> 
See, I know nothing. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> it sticks in your head for about 30 seconds. Like, you have, like, little bits of information, like, the helmet guy. And you're like, oh, that guy? No. <laughs> I love it. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, cool thing to come out of the divisional round, though, last week that wasn't really discussed as well in the news as I'd like. Bills fans ended up donating $450,000 to one of Lamar Jackson's favorite charities. Is this an attempt to launder money for the mop? For the mafia? The yeah, Bills mafia? The yeah, no. Um, the donations were made to a charity called Blessings in a Backpack, and they started making those donations after Lamar suffered a concussion in the first half of the game between the two teams. So basically the Bills mafia started tweeting out that on behalf of Lamar Jackson not being able to play in the full game and not feeling like they really beat the best, you know, Ravens team because he was out, that they should start donating to one of his charities. And it was kind of just a flash situation that just blew up. Yeah. The CFO of the charity basically gets updates every time somebody donates over $100 worth of donations. Okay. And she goes, my phone out of nowhere on a Sunday afternoon in a random month, like it's not like... Normally, before school season, they get a lot of donations because Mm -hmm. they're trying to help kids in, you know, lower income households have the things they need to go to school. And they're just out of nowhere at the, it's not even a time they normally get donations. And she goes, my phone did not stop ringing the entire day. Like it just kept notification, 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 notification. So kudos to the Bills Mafia for using your powers for good instead of for breaking tables like you normally do at your things that you do. Have you not... You know nothing about the Bills Mafia. (laughs) This is why I can't fight them. They jump through full-on foldable tables like a regular thing. Oh, it's a foldable table. That's not as bad. What? (laughs) I'm going to show you videos after this, and I might record your reaction and start our YouTube channel just based off of that alone. Yeah. Um, Because I feel like that would be entertaining. Be like, why do they do that? I can see your, your comments already. It'd be funny. But... Lamar basically released a statement on Monday thanking the Bills Mafia for starting this donation movement, uh, and he was completely honored by the sportsmanship of the team for making that happen and the fans of their team for making that happen. And he said that you earned a lot of respect in my book. So That's good. Yeah, that was the good news of the NFL, so I'll let you take over a little bit. So I've got a lot of hiring situations because I it's the 100% end one hundred percent avoided all that. It's a lot. I only included the ones that I thought were important because it's just starting the off season for a lot of teams, so it's like everyone wants to get hired or fired. Well they don't want to get fired. <laughs> I meant all the teams want to hire and fire yeah. people. Ooh, it's a day today. The LA Chargers have hired Rams defensive coordinator Brandon Staley as their head coach. So, like, these guys didn't even want to look outside their own stadium to hire someone. Probably saved them a little bit on moving costs, I would imagine. Guy probably barely has to move offices, let's be honest. Yeah. And then the Atlanta Falcons are hiring New Orleans Saints assistant GM Terry Fontano? Fontano? Probably Fontenot. As their next GM. So that's a promotion for him. The Jacksonville Jaguars announced that they're hiring Trent Bulk. I didn't write any of these down. So you're looking for help, but I have none to give. You know, that's okay. (laughs) 
As their GM on Thursday, January 21st, he will work alongside newly hired head coach Urban Mayer. Yeah, it's like John Mayer. No, it's Urban Meyer. Like Oscar Meyer. You know, I remember trying to say it that way last Last time and you told me I was wrong. And then I said it this way and I was also wrong. (laughs) I'm just going to be wrong forever. You said mayor last week as well. Like he's running for mayor of Jacksonville. The New Orleans Saints assistant head coach slash tight end coach Dan Campbell agreed to terms on a six-year deal with the Lions on Wednesday, January 20th to become their next head coach. Yep. Six years feels like a long time for a deal like that. For head coaches, they usually try to give them at least four, I feel like, is the minimum, just because you can't really change a team in a year, so they want to see at least two to three years of, like, really good attempts at being a head coach. But obviously, as we know, watching the Jets, it's very feasible to have a six-year contract and be let go after one year. Yeah. We'll see if it's actually six years. If it's meant to be. And then the only retiring person, retiring, retirement, that I noted was because this name sounds familiar. Kubiak, right? No. Who the hell is that? Oh, well, I'll let you lead then. So... Philip Rivers is retiring after 17 NFL seasons. Yeah. He is planning to be the head coach at St. Michael Catholic School in Alabama. Yeah, there's talk that that might not even happen now. He was offered a job by the NFL for the NFL Network as possibly oh, okay. a, a Monday is, night or Sunday night football Is he a person. pretty boy? Um, Like, when it comes to people that get hit a lot, he's not bad looking, <laughs> I guess. I don't know, like... Um, this is a, it's a hard one for me to speak on, I guess, as a, a man, but yeah, <laughs> I'm going to give him it for liberty to, uh, get back to her sanity. You were looking for that. I know you were, so. No, I was just thinking like Patrick, uh, Sharp got hired by the NHL cause he's a pretty boy and yeah. uh, attractive for someone who gets hit a lot. <laughs> Either way, though, he ends his career as an NFL quarterback after 17 seasons with 240 straight games played without injury or missing a start. Which Not even the sniffles? Nothing. I mean, he's played injured multiple times at the end of the season, but he's never missed a start job in 240 plus games, which is the second longest streak in the history of the NFL. Well, considering how few games are played a season. That, yeah, it's a lot of seasons. Yeah. He currently ranks fifth in NFL history for total passing yards with 63,440 total passing yards, um, which is a lot. And he finishes his career as well with 421 total career touchdown passes. There's a lot of people who are like, well, he didn't win a championship. He doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. He's fifth overall in the history of the sport for passing yards. If he doesn't get into the Hall of Fame, you need to take some quarterbacks out of the Hall of Fame. Really? Like, how do you end up being the fifth best quarterback in history and not get inducted into the Hall of Fame? How do you end up the fifth best and not get a championship? He played in San Diego, that's how. Oh, that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. As well, too, a lot of the years that he was in San Diego, it's not like it was more recently. The AFC West was always a very dominant division. You had Kansas City, who was always a real good threat. And then Oakland, every now and again, just decided to show up for a season. So there were seasons where his team was 10-4 and and they missed the playoffs. So, like, it's kind of crazy to think about, realistically. So it's a bummer to see him retire because he had a pretty good year this year. But at the same time, like, I understand he's older. He also has nine kids, so... 
That sounds like nine too many kids. Yeah. So, like, the ongoing joke was, like, in between every other season, he was having a new child for a little while. So, yeah. Nine kids. No big deal. Maybe he should still be working. (laughs) Well, he's going to be working. It's just a matter of where he's going to be working. (laughs) Yeah. Total nine kids. That's kind of crazy. Starting from the age of 16 south. So, like, imagine... He started having children at 16 years old. No, no. I'm saying his (laughs) eldest is 16 years old and not... That he started having children at 16. I know that sounds like an Alabama thing to do, but... Doesn't it? Yeah. Doesn't it? Sorry, Alabama. <laughs> uh, as well, too, talking about Drew Brees and, like, older quarterbacks, there's a lot of speculation that he's going to announce his retirement in the upcoming weeks, predominantly because his wife revealed the fact that he was playing last week's game against the Buccaneers with a partial torn rotator cuff. As... A quarterback, that's probably not a very easy thing to overcome at his age. Torn rotator cuffs, I would imagine. But it was in his throwing arm, so either way, he's going to be taking some time off whether he comes back or not. Also this week, Gary Kubiak, the offensive coordinator for the Minnesota Vikings, announces that he's going to retire for family reasons. Nice and big. Yeah, he's not old, old coming to coaching standards, but at the same time, he's done a lot in the more recent years. So kudos to the guy enjoying an early retirement. Well, something's going on. Yeah, but there were more hirings this week. I'm sorry. We had the Washington football team announcing that they will be promoting Jennifer King to a full-time offensive assistant coaching position, which would make her the first African-American woman to be a full-time coach in the NFL. A thing that needed to happen, clearly. Progress is progress, I guess. Even if it happens at a snail's pace. And if it happens for the Washington football team. Also this week, the NFL announced that 22,000 fans will be allowed to attend this year's Super Bowl. It'd be better if they didn't. 7,500 of the fans will be vaccinated healthcare workers that teams from all over the United States will be offering free tickets to and flights for them and their families to go and watch the games. I mean, I get what they're trying to do. I really do. But save it for next year. Like, come on. And then 14,500 of the fans will be fans that have paid to gain entry into the game. And hopefully testing. I would imagine they're going to do some type of rapid test or something like that. You feel like you have to at that point. Why a rapid test? Just a couple days prior, get your PCR. What the crap? Yeah. But that's all the NFL news I have. I don't know if you have anything else. So there are a couple other things that have happened. The NFL informed teams on Monday, January 18th, that the 2021 NFL scouting combine will change formats due to COVID concerns. There will be no in-person workouts at the combine. All interviews and psychological testing will be virtual, and there will be a limited in-person medical exam option. It's interesting. I know that they've been talking about for a while, for a couple of weeks, how they were going to do that. There were like rumors that they were going to do like groups of five players at a time and like then one player in each individual event at a time. And like it's just come down to this less and less thing. Right. And they also informed teams on Friday, January 22nd that... There's this whole list of new pre-2021 NFL draft rules relating to hosting and interacting with draft-eligible players. Right. So all teams are prohibited from timing, testing, interviewing in person, or giving medical exams to any draft prospect outside of a school's pro day or an all-star game. So, like, you have your limited options for when and where to do these things. 
and the presence of a college player at a team's facility is prohibited. The memo also discussed a league-wide ban on private workouts, facility visits, dinners, and film sessions with prospects. I didn't even know this was a thing that happened before, but now it's limited, and apparently if they end up at a team facility for some reason, they got invited by a player or something happened and they're there, they're supposed to be kicked out immediately. That kind of makes sense. It completely makes sense. So it's going to be another weird year, I think. Yeah. The real bummer about the combine isn't necessarily for the guys that know they're already going to be drafted. I think a lot of the times the combine is an opportunity for guys that are kind of coming out of smaller D1 and larger D2 schools to really make a name for themselves. Right. So if it's hurting anybody, that's that's who it's hurting. And it, it's sad because a lot of times, like Darnell Mooney, for that matter, we picked him up in the third round. Nobody even knew who this kid was. He ended up being the number one receiver for the Bears this year yeah. because he had such a good performance at the Combine. Otherwise, nobody knew who he was. And so it's just... They still have ways to assess these players. It's just... It's limited. Gonna, yeah, it's going to be limited and a little bit more complicated to do. But yes, there are still options. It's just, you know, if they don't show up for an event like the Combine, how are they supposed to know who these kids are? You know? Right. So, and that's one of the nice things about the Combine. Like, literally, if you claim you're prepared for the draft, you can show up. Like, there's no stipulation. So, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's going to be a little more complicated. It's going to be very scout dependent in those later draft rounds, for sure. For sure, yeah. Moving on to MLB and the sad MLB news that happened this week. I don't know this player in particular, but I did look up some news on him. So I'll go through that and then you can discuss because I'm sure you have more information than me. Yeah. But Hank Aaron passed away on Friday, January 22nd at 86 years old. He had surpassed Babe Ruth in the all-time home runs on April 8th of 1974 when he was 40 years old. He then went on to play for two more seasons, or at least parts of two more seasons. Yep. And he ended up playing a total of 23, I guess. There are an array of awards that he won for the MLB and the National League specifically. He received the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2002 for his civil rights activism. And he still ranks first on baseball's all-time list in RBIs with 2,297. Second in home runs with 755, third in hits with 3,771, and fourth in runs with 2,174. Yeah. He had a career batting average of 305, which means nothing to me. That's phenomenal. (laughs) And his award has been given to the top hitter in each league annually since 1999. Yeah. So the comparisons, truthfully, for Hank Aaron is on the same level of, like, the great one in the game of hockey when it comes to Gretzky. Like, there's nobody better. There's been nobody better. Like, it's kind of the same comparison of, like, Michael Jordan in the world of the NBA. And so if you don't follow baseball, understand that he's been a motivator for a lot of athletes over a long, 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 long time in the game of baseball. So, like, him and Jackie Robinson were probably the most, well, adding as well Willie Mays, probably the three most prevalent players to come out of the Negro baseball leagues into the major leagues. Right. You're going to probably see me tear up through this process just because I've done multiple reports over the years on 
a lot of these players that I'm mentioning names for, and obviously we're seeing a lot more of them pass away over the years. As they get older, yeah. yeah. Um, but he was born February 5th in 1934. In 1951, he signed with the Indianapolis Clowns. So just to give you an idea of what white America thought of Negro baseball players at that point in time, the team was literally called the Clowns. And yeah. if that doesn't explain racism to you, that is ridiculous. This is the kind of crap that these guys had to go through, and they prevailed beyond it. In his first season, he was named Rookie of the Year for the team, Indianapolis Clowns, which was part of the Negro American League at just the age of 17 years old. Like, he shouldn't have even been able to allow to play professionally based on current baseball standards. Yeah. And he was the best player of the year, making his first appearance in a professional contract. Right. Albeit not a MLB contract. He played so well that in 1952, he signed with the Boston Braves. So if that gives you a weird thing, because the Braves haven't been in Boston since about that period of time. So the team ended up moving into the MLB at that point in time from being a minor league team to the Milwaukee Braves. In his first game with the Milwaukee Braves, he was 0-5 in his first big league game. He did not hit a single ball. The entire time he was there during the game, the press even were saying, this kid is a flop. Who is he? Nobody cares about him. Like, why is he even here? Started receiving death threats, all sorts of things like that. In his very first game, just one game, he had a bad game. And everybody was just ready to write this kid off. In 1957, he earned his only National League MVP award. He led the league with 44 home runs and 132 RBIs. The nearest player to him was more than 15 home runs behind him. He dominated the league. In 1966, the Braves moved to their current home of Atlanta. Imagine being in the 60s as an African-American baseball player in the MLB where there's only a few of you at that point in time in the Deep South. He started immediately receiving death threats to himself and his family. So, again, in a situation where most people would quit because they want to protect their family from this nonsense. Yeah. He continued to play baseball. In 1968, he reached the 500 home run mark, faster than any white player in the game in its history. In 1970, he reached the 3,000 hit mark. He became the first player in the history of the game to have 500 home runs and 3,000 hits. He started really scaring people in the game, realistically, that were fans of Babe Ruth and the white baseball game in 1974, because in 1973, he reached the 700 home run mark at the end of the season. In 1974, he tied Babe Ruth's record on April 4th, as you stated. Yeah. Later on that month, just four days later, he broke that record. During that period of time, it was estimated that he received over 1,500 death threats. That's insane. They didn't want an African-American man to pass the greatest white baseball player in the history of the game. This is just in the 70s. Like, in, in time, space, that's not that long ago. Yeah. Which is just crazy to me to fathom. After beating that record, out of fear for him and his family, the Braves traded him to the Milwaukee Brewers. Literally, was just like, it's bad PR, get out of here. I don't think Milwaukee would have uh, done a lot to help the situation that doesn't feel like a super liberal area yeah what basically what the braves offered him was a front office job and he said i don't want that i want to continue to play baseball yeah and the braves were like we don't want the risk of you being on our team anymore so like enjoy milwaukee yeah in 1976 he hit 
his 755th career home run, which would be in the record book as his final home run of his career. In 1982, he was elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame on his very first ballot attempt. He only missed being the first ever player to be inducted unanimously by nine votes. Yeah. All I can think in my head is there's still people who are like super racist and stopping him from being the first player, which he deserved by every right. It's just crazy to me that just a little beyond our lifetime, people were still so racist. I don't want to turn this into a political thing, but I really hope you don't look outside then. Because it's like, still here. It, don't, no question about it. But it's not to the same level of prevalence. And like being in front of your face nearly as much as it used to be, obviously. It's I, growing more recently, which is the scary part about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, but hopefully with the Cheeto out of the White House, that becomes less of a thing now. Make racists scared again. 2021. To say that he was one of the greats, he phenomenally is. For me, he will always be the home run king because I don't believe Barry Bonds didn't cheat. And we'll stay on that (laughs) subject because you don't have your head grow to a bobblehead size without using steroids. I don't know. In my mind, he will go down in history as the number one home run record holder. To his family, I'm sorry for your loss. It affected everybody. Maybe not nearly to the level that Kobe Bryant did last year. But I hope you know, brought me to tears. Yeah, so it's rough. It's absolutely insane what these guys who were just trying to play a sport that they love had to go through. And I really hope the way that we look back at that time is how our future generations will look back at 2016, 2020 and see how horrible that all was. Truly how horrible it can become if we don't put it into it right now. Right. Feels weird moving on to other news. <laughs> Probably should have done that one last. No, I, I think it deserved the front spot yeah. in the MLB. So Well, I guess I will move on to signings that have happened because there were a lot of those thanks to it being the off season. Yep. Jason Castro signed a two-year deal to rejoin the Houston Astros on Friday, January 22nd. I guess he had been in Texas and then gone off to play somewhere else and came back the terms of the deal haven't been disclosed but sources close to the situation have told mlb.com that it is worth seven million dollars plus a two million dollar amount for incentives so that sounds like it's about worth nine million dollars yeah we'll we'll see if it's worth nine million dollars part of the stipulation i think is he has to be one of the top three performing catchers in the major leagues which is not an easy one to meet considering how many there are that sounds very difficult yeah and the los angeles angels of anaheim yeah have agreed to terms with free agent left-hander jose quintana on friday january 22nd it is a one-year deal for eight million dollars his current era is 3.73 over the course of nine big league seasons yeah, he was a, a White Sox prospect. Yes. He was part of why the White Sox are in the situation they are for being probably one of the more dominant teams because he was involved with the Oloy Jimenez trade to the Cubs. So uh, he's played on both sides of Chicago, so he will be missed in the city, I'm sure. Yeah, but speaking of the Cubs, they have come to terms with catcher Austin Romine, Romine with a one-year contract for $1.5 million. 
the Toronto Blue Jays announced on Saturday, January 22nd, that they have agreed to a six-year, $150 million deal with outfielder George Springer. This was the one everybody was kind of waiting for. So the Mets came out and announced that they weren't going to offer him more than $130 million for six years. I think they were saying 125 125 Yeah. Okay. And so... Everybody knew that he was pretty much the last big fish in the pond, more or less, and he was going to get paid. There was no doubt about it. So. Right. Well, it comes out at this rate as $25 million a year. Roughly, yeah. It, it's a pretty crazy contract. I think it starts at like $20 million the first year, and then it starts like doing all these weird numbers right. through a couple of years, so... It's definitely not a, a, a normal contract by any means. The Red Sox have reached an agreement to a one-year $10 million contract with right-handed pitcher Garrett Richards. And those are all the signings I wrote down because, oh my god. I still have a few more, so... How fun for us. Um, The Padres... Uh, when I say a few, I only mean three, so it's not like I'm going to overwhelm you. The Padres signed Jerkson Profar to a three-year $21 million contract. And the Twins signed J.A. Happ to a one-year $8 million contract. And the Astros re-signed Michael Brantley to a two-year $32 million contract. I figured those were some pretty big numbers and were worth talking about at least a little bit. But that's all the signings I have. I do have a firing that's pretty prevalent this week in the news. Okay. The Mets fired their newly hired GM, Jared Porter. How newly hired? Uh, within the last month. Oh, wow. Uh, after information came out about him sending unsolicited explicit pictures to Gross. a female within the Cubs organization, this message came after 60 plus messages that were not responded to by the woman in uh, that's making the accusation forward. <sighs> yeah. Needless to say, he will never work in the major leagues again. He better not. Yeah. He... That's my only thing. Like, you better not get a job somewhere else in the league. Yeah. We went from such positive news and sad news to Disgusting this news? dude doesn't deserve to ever work somewhere ever again. He doesn't deserve to have that kind of item to take a photo of. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you on that one. But I have one more bit of baseball news, but it's fun news. So if you have more, I'll let you continue on. No. So with the Bernie Sanders memes that were coming out this past week, thanks so, to... The one thing to save the week. Yeah. Baseball card company Topps Collectibles has released a Bernie Sanders meme baseball card. Nice. They are planning on releasing in the realm of about 2 million copies. So they will be randomly packed into your sports pack as an additional <laughs> card in the okay, Topps like collectors. That part. So like you that can't part just buy it outright. So it'll be in their random baseball card collector packs. It's kind of like finding the golden ticket. You'll randomly find a Bernie Sanders Topps card inside your card. Nice. They won't take away from you getting like all 12 cards that you would normally get in a Topps Package. You just get a bonus you just Bernie get a 13th Sanders card with Bernie Sanders possibly in it. So I actually like that uh, a lot. Those should start going into circulation. I believe they said within the next two or three weeks. So keep your eyes out, kids. You might end up with a Bernie Sanders baseball card. I want to know what they're putting on the back of that card. What's I would imagine like his senator stats. Like, like what else do you put? Like he was senator from this year to this year. Voted in on blah 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 blah. Yeah, that's funny. You also you also had some fun during the week. This is multiple leagues, but it relates to Bernie Sanders. You had multiple teams put their mascots in a coat and these knitted mittens. Oh yeah, I'm like, I don't know how you got those mittens so fast. I feel like they weren't on hand. 
but I'm very excited that you did I this. feel bad for whoever had to be the one that had the job to go out and find them for all the mascots that would actually fit the Giant mascot paws, hands. Yeah. Yes. Or if they just had somebody that worked for the team that knew how to knit and they're like, just crochet us something really quick. That quickly, that would not happen. Yeah. Um, they had to have bought them. Yeah. So you had Benny the Bull make an appearance. You also had the Blackhawks mascot also make an appearance. What's his name? I'm blanking on it, which is awful. Tommy Hawk. I don't know how I forgot that. I wanted to call him Tony Hawk, and I knew that was wrong. Definitely not that. (laughs) But yes, Tommy Hawk also was visually seen in a couple images of him wearing the Bernie Sanders mittens. Yeah. But that's all the MLB news I have this week. I tried to keep it short because I knew the Henry Hank Aaron stuff was going to beat me up a little bit on the inside. Yeah. Moving to the NBA... I thought I would start with a legal thing that happened. A federal judge in North Carolina has ruled in favor of New Orleans Pelicans player Zion Williamson. I'm surprised you didn't call it No Pelicans just now. The No No Pelicans. You know I love them. In a case concerning a contract he terminated with a marketing agent who is seeking $100 million in damages... The contract was ruled void in this case for multiple reasons that get into that state's Uniform Athlete Agent Act. Basically, the agent did a lot of things wrong with this contract, so the contract was thrown out anyway. He was trying to get paid on collegiate marketing that was used for Zion Williamson, which A, they already can't do legally in the NCAA, so I think that's one of the big reasons it got thrown out. It's like when, you, when you're when you an agent for a collegiate basketball player, you're not usually getting paid until they make their push to the NBA. So it's like, why are you trying to cash out on that, dude? But there were a lot of other things wrong with the contract, and it just, it gets into such legalese that I'm like, you know what, it's good enough just to say it got thrown out. Yeah. On the injury front, you have the Portland Trailblazers. Yep. Guard CJ McCollum, who has suffered a hairline fracture in his left foot early this past week. He's going to end up wearing a walking boot and be evaluated in about four weeks. It's unclear when exactly he got the fracture, but looking at the game that it happened in, it appears that Atlanta's Clint Capella stepped on his foot following a layup in the first quarter. Yeah. So, ow. Yeah, they definitely had to roll back the tape on it because what's weird is he didn't look like he was that hurt when he got up from the situation. But, like, as the game went on, you're like, wow, he's not really performing as well as he normally does. The thing is, it's a hairline fracture. And, like, I had a hairline fracture in my big toe when I was in the military. At first, I was like, oh, crap, what was that? And then immediately went back to the training we were doing. So, like, you don't always know right when you break a bone. Yeah. But you definitely notice it later. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what ended up happening as you went along. Also this week, Celtics' Peyton Pritchard uh, will miss at least two weeks. He was diagnosed with a grade one MCL sprain. At least it wasn't torn. No, yeah, he avoided that, but uh, it'll be fun walking around for a little while. Yeah, for sure. But back with the Portland Trailblazers, their center, Yusuf Nurkic, underwent surgery on Tuesday, January 19th to repair a fracture in his right wrist. He'll end up wearing a splint for four weeks, but be re-evaluated in six. Okay. There's also a misdiagnosis that had happened earlier. So what had happened was... 
So the Detroit Pistons rookie Killian Hayes was diagnosed with a torn labrum in his right hip two weeks ago. But after further evaluation, the team discovered the injury is only a subluxation, which means a partial dislocation, that would not require surgery to repair. He's now treating it with rest and rehab. He'll be reassessed in eight weeks. Well, that's good news for him. I'm sure he's ecstatic that it's not as bad as it was. I don't know how you go from a torn labrum to a subluxation, but that's what happened. I would imagine bad imaging. That's like the only thing I can think of. Right. Or no imaging. Yeah. The Washington Wizards have been shorthanded recently due to illness, injury, all that fun stuff. They signed free agent centers Alex Len and Jordan Bell on Saturday, January 23rd. They've been forced to cancel six games, I think it was, since their win over Phoenix on January 11th. So it's been six straight Wizards games uh, to be postponed due to the health and safety protocols. So injury has affected the amount of players they can field, but the coronavirus has been what has caused... But you have to have eight players at minimum to have a team, and the injuries definitely kept them from being able to do that. Yeah. So a total of seven players and one staff member has tested positive for COVID-19 in the organization within this last week. So they have a little bit of a COVID problem right now in Washington. Yeah. The added number of these games brings the NBA season up to a total of 17 postponements this year so far in this season. NBD, no big deal, right? It's going to be a very sloppy year. Yeah. To stack on top of that this week, the Grizzlies also postponed three games this past week to allow the team to properly contact, trace, and test players and staff related to the small outbreak the organization is experiencing. It's just a little pandemic. They haven't announced how many players or staff members are involved, but they are doing full contact tracing amongst the team and staff currently. So everybody's getting their nose swabbed. Swabs all around. But the NBA also updated its COVID protocols this week to no longer allow post-game handshakes hugs or, or hugs high fives, yeah. Or high fives. The NBA has announced they will be hiring security to enforce it. So, like, are they going to beat up the athletes? Like, what are you doing coming over here trying to give that man a hug? No, you don't. What are you, the hugging police? Yes, I am. The the actually title of their their job will be hugging police. Is it? No, it would be great if it was, though. You say things with that voice, and I think you're being You're like, you're being too confident. Is it true? (laughs) Uh, Also in NBA news this week, Steph Curry passes Reggie Miller into second place for career three-pointers. He has 2,562 now in his career. He reached this number in 715 games, which was just a little over half the amount of games Reggie Miller took to reach that feat. So he is going to slaughter that record. Um, He's expected to pass Ray Allen, who currently holds the record with 2,973 three-pointers, based on his current rate of three-pointers per game in less than 114 games. Realistically, more than likely next season, he'll pass it if he keeps up the pace he's at. All of these numbers mean nothing to me, but I'm very proud of these people. Well, considering he's done it in half the time as the person he just passed is... Sounds very fast. Pretty impressive. Also this week, Colin Sexton scored 20 points straight for the Cavs in an OT win over the Brooklyn Nets. How many goals did he score? A Sexton. Yeah. 
Sure. That's a lot of goals. Yeah, but 20 straight points, which is unbelievable. Like, that's crazy to think that nobody else on your team put a point on the board except for you for 20 straight. Yeah, sounds like his other team's made up of slackers. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, Luka Doncic passed Michael Jordan on the all-time triple-double list this week with his 29th at only the age of 21. That's craziness. He scored 36 points, 16 rebounds, and 15 assists in the game that he passed Michael Jordan. Yeah, but I feel like there's less defense now. No argument there. I feel like the defense was a little more violent. (laughs) I feel like it's the true arguments or aggressive. But also this week in the fun news of the NBA, the Raptors throwback jersey was rated the number one by an online poll held by the NBA to be the best looking throwback jersey. Is there a dinosaur on it? There is. There is? Yeah. Yay! And I'm going to show it to you. I was being sarcastic AF. Yeah, no, no reason for that. Show me the dino. Show me the dino. Trying to get it here. Give me one second. There's two different jerseys. You have the home and the away jersey. You have the purple jersey, which was the one that was rated most recently the best looking jersey. You can buy it now on Amazon for $113. Yeah, a remake of it by Mitchell and Ness. It's not the original, but it has a velociraptor on there playing basketball. With his claws out, which is kind of weird. I don't know how I feel about the lines on the background. Yeah. I feel like it should look more like claw marks. It looks like just a weird It's line. zigzaggy. It's not just a normal line. So it's I know, kind of but meant it, to be like a claw it, mark. But It doesn't really look like a claw mark. Though. But that was the number one rated jersey. I'm not surprised. It actually looks pretty cool. It's so cute. Yeah. I love this little raptor. A basketball playing velociraptor. But that's all the NBA news I have for the week. I figure you would enjoy that one as a little fun bit of NBA news. Do they sell little stuffed raptors? They do. Little stuffies? Yeah. Is that what you want? You want? Are you going to become a Raptors fan and not a Nuggies fan anymore? No, I still like the Nuggies. Yeah. And the No-Nos. And the No-Pelicans. That's all in the same league, right? They're, I didn't mix anyone the, up. They're in the NBA, yes. Yeah. Go me. Yeah. I guess all we really have left at this point would be... Soccer. Soccer. Do you have MLS news? Because I, I don't. do. Do you? No? no. All right. Shocker. Back to me. Right. So the MLS Players Association submitted a counteroffer to MLS on a new CBA on Friday, January 22nd. The offer was in response to the league's proposal submitted to the Players Association on January 5th. The counteroffer committed to paying the players 100% of their salaries this year in return for a two-year extension of the MLS CBA. In a statement, the MLS said, We respect the players as athletes and business professionals, and we are closely reviewing their counteroffer. We will respond promptly and are committed to meet as many times as necessary with the MLS Players Association in the coming days to reach an agreement. And then I put in parentheses. So obviously they aren't going to accept the counteroffer because they said they'd meet as many times as necessary. If you were going to accept the offer, you wouldn't have said that. Yeah, it would just be like, we're going to accept whatever they bring back. Also, I don't think you're going to get the players getting 100% of their salary because they're playing fewer games. But then on top of that, you've got this issue that the MLS is trying to push, which is however long the CBA is valid for, whatever the extension is, they want to do a reduction in the amount that can be spent on the players moving forward. Meaning to say, if you have a contract for X amount of dollars, you can't go above X amount of dollars for the next two years. And I don't know any player who's going to be like, that's fine. They were originally 
set to have this over and done with by now because they put a limit on it. But the lawyers went back and looked at it and said, you cannot put a limit on it when you're pulling this, when you're forcing the negotiation. So they have to meet until they figure it out. Yeah, and part of the stipulation of that 100% salary is they get paid 100% of their salary based on the games that they played, not necessarily that Mm. they're getting 100% of what their actual contract states because it's based off of, hey, if we play half a season, you get 100% of what that is. is. And, And I kind of agree with that. Whereas like other leagues last year with the CBAs, the weird thing, because I've been looking into it a little bit more to understand CBAs as a whole, there were teams last year in the MLS that were only offering 82% of their contract based on games played, which means they're getting cheated. Yeah, yeah, for so, sure. So like... I understand that this league lost a billion dollars last year and that's with a B and that is a lot of money. But at the same time, like yeah. they're professionals. They need to do their job. I don't want to do my job if I only get 82% of my pay. And I can tell you there were a lot of teams in situations where they weren't allowed to have fans. And I think that was a big thing as well. I can tell you with certainty they're trying to make the money up because every oh, yeah. week I get a phone call from FC Dallas going, you ready for season tickets again? And I'm like, no, I'm not. Like. Yeah. There's still kind of this pandemic thing going around, if you haven't noticed. I will say, though, when it comes to sports, because it's an outdoor arena, the risk percentage drops drastically. But if they're going to be packing people in like sardines, it doesn't matter. It doesn't make a difference. Also, you have to consider the location of certain teams like us. I'm not going to be comfortable until we're all vaccinated because of the whole Texas doesn't know how to handle a pandemic, apparently. Yeah. That's something they need to consider as well. Yeah. The other two pieces of MLS news are related to staffing. So, DC United has named Hernan Losada as head coach. This is ending a three-month search for a head coach. So, Ben Olsen was fired on October 8th. And they're just now hiring someone this week. Losada comes from Belgium Beershot, which is apparently an actual team, where he had been coaching since 2018. This also makes him the youngest manager in the MLS. Interesting. And I know for people who don't think MLS is a real league, that means you washed up way sooner than you should have. I'm raising my hand. I know. (laughs) They'll see how that goes there. I don't know anything about the team that he was coaching prior. It's very weird. Or at least a weird name. Yeah, Belgium Beer Shot is not a team I've ever heard of before, so it's Is that what you do every time there's a goal? A beer shot? Yeah. And then the last one is a little controversial. Inter-Miami CF has named Phil Neville as their coach. This is going to reunite the former Manchester United player with David Beckham, who is the co-owner of Inter-Miami. Okay. Beckham has been accused of hiring Neville because of their friendship. He's since come out and said that's not true. I said, either way, who cares if he's qualified for the job? Right. As long as he's qualified, I don't care if they're best friends, if they have their names tattooed on each other. I don't care. It's a pretty solid argument. (laughs) If you can do the job, you can do the job. It doesn't make a difference. Right. Is that all the MLS news you have? That's more than I've had in the past couple weeks. I'm overjoyed that it's over. (laughs) 
this week as well in the Bundesliga, there has been some shifting in the top five, for that matter, the top six teams, and that would include your team. You guys took two L's this week. Rough week to be a Dortmund fan. Bayern Munich, on the other hand, is doing quite well. So there's that. Bayern Munich has won three out of their last four games and a total of four of their last five games, putting them on the table with 42 points. The nearest team to them is Red Bull Leipzig with 35 points, followed shortly there behind by Bayer Leverskin with 32 points. And then Wolfsburg moving on up in the world with 32 points as well. They're behind in goal differential, but they are in fourth. And you have Borussia Mönchengladbach, the now best Borussia team, which is it tastes and sounds so bad, uh, with 31 points in fifth. And then Frankfurt in sixth place, rounding out the Champions League opportunities and Europa League spots with 30 points. Dortmund slid from fourth place this week down to seventh place. They are just outside of the playoff opportunity spots for Champions League locations and or Europa League spots with 29 points. Followed there by the great team Union Berlin in eighth place. That's interesting. A little bit of a shakeup this week in the Bundesliga standings. Definitely not what I expected, that's for certain. But in the Premier League, you'll be a lot happier. There's good news in the Premier League for you this week. You have Manchester United currently sitting in first place in the Premier League with 40 points with Manchester City nipping at your heels with 38. Manchester City has won five of their last five games. They are starting to turn it on. They can go straight to hell. Uh, Leicester City sitting in third place, also with 38 points. And then you have Liverpool dropping their second loss in five games, down to 34 points. On those other three games in the last five, they drew. They have not won a game in five matches. Tottenham sitting in fifth place. And then the one you'll get your revenge on, Newcastle sliding from 12th down to 16th, two spots outside of relegation zone. Yikes. So COVID has been a destroyer of this team this season. Three of our main starting players still have not made appearances a month and a half later after their bouts with COVID. It's leading me to believe that this may be the end of their careers because there has to be some kind of lasting damage for them to be out this long. Yeah. Well, on top of that, most people have some sort of lingering issues after having COVID, so I don't feel surprised that athletes might also. Yeah. We've lost four of our last five, so it has not been a pretty couple weeks for that. Yeah. But at least I have sympathy for you, unlike you. Having sympathy for me. That just doesn't exist. Well, in fairness, unlike Premier League where you just picked a team that you liked because, it, you know, you're like, oh, Manchester United. I know them. I've heard of them. In the freaking Bundesliga, you decided to pick basically the Yankees-Red Sox of a rivalry <laughs> with my team. So you kind of earned it a little bit did i yeah did i however you did, did pick it because you're like oh marco royce he looks handsome what team does he play <laughs> no, for and you're like well just the most competitive team to my own so thank you so much that is not how i became a Borussia dortmund fan thank you very much you're putting it on record yes okay. let it be known yeah. because what happened is there were a bunch of 
candid photos of Marco Royce being a giant dork playing yeah. soccer, and I went, that's hilarious. Who does he play for? Had nothing to do with his looks. Sure. I don't oh believe you. <laughs> this is going to be a fight for our entire marriage. Yeah, quite possibly. <laughs> But the only other big news this week in the world of international soccer was Mesut Ozil will be leaving Arsenal to go to Fenerbahce in Turkey. He was the highest paid player in the Premier League playing from the bench. Roughly in the realm of like millions of dollars a game where he was just not playing. I wish I got paid millions of dollars just sit on the sideline and watch a game happen. I wish I got paid hundreds of dollars sit on the sideline. No disagreement there. He's been kind of a player that has been letting emotions kind of grab at a lot of things. And the quality of his play, it's been up and down. Like, he's had a couple good years and a couple bad years. I'm not shocked to see him sitting on the bench. I am shocked that he sat there so long. I guess more so than anything. But he had the stipulation that the only place he would go on a free transfer was to Fenerbahce. Because he's of Turkish and German descent, so... I just don't understand players being like, I'll only do this for this. Like, who gives you the right? His contract, as it turns out, in his instance. Good for him. Yeah. He got his wish. He's been moved on to the team that he wanted to be a part of. But that's all the sports news I have for this week. And it was a long episode. Oh my god, the longest. If people could stop getting hired and fired, that'd be great. And if important people could stop dying, that would also be great. That is less likely to stop. Yeah. Because we all have our date. It's just a matter of when we get there. And on that happy note, yeah. thank you guys for checking us out. Make sure you also check out all of the social media, which will be linked in the show notes. And we'll catch you later this week for a book episode, which will hopefully have happier news. Thank you guys, though. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.